0: I'm Samantha Kapkovic.
1: And I'm Sam Belfi.
0: And this is The Root Report. As always, this podcast brings you to hear voices from around our city talk their work and the issues that matter.
1: For this week's episode, we'll bring in UMKC student and accomplished poet Darian Case, whose first book, The Sky Has Full Lips, is being published this month to talk about his life, art, and activism. But before we begin our conversation of Darian Case though, let's take a look at what's happening around campus. Here are the top stories for this week. UMKC announced last week they'll be partnering with the Metropolitan Community College in a new way to provide an easier education path for students. The program, called Rumentum, includes three different tracks students can take, all offering dual enrollment at both institutions. The university's desire to create this program came from the challenges transfer students sometimes experience as they move between institutions. The first program, called On Track, became available to students at the start of the semester. It will let students be automatically admitted to UMKC once they complete the necessary courses at MCC. The second program, Pathways, will begin in spring of 2020. It'll make it easier for credits to transfer between the schools. It'll also allow for an earlier connection of major specific and upper level classes. The third program is aimed to be implemented by fall of 2021 and will allow students to work towards a Bachelor of Applied Science through UMKC and an Associate of Applied Science at MCC while taking classes at both universities. These programs aim to be more convenient for students. Students will have a one-stop shop for enrollment, billing, cashiers, and many other services, so they don't have to go through separate channels at each university. MCC offers similar programs of seven other local colleges, including Avila, Park University, and the University of Central Missouri. With the three different components of the program, there are no limits to how many students can participate. The university is also seeking to create similar programs with other local community
2: colleges. Go, fight, win, ruse, was the only line of UMKC's original fight song. However, its new version incorporates the same chorus, but with another seven lines that encapsulate the new atmosphere of Kansas City athletics. The UMKC fight song has been around since 1963, according to the UMKC website. But Associate Athletics Director of Community Relations and Engagement, Jessica Dixon, and Foreigner intern, Athletics director Ursula Gurney grew curious and started looking for the official lyrics over 10 years ago. Some could say it was time to be out with the old and in with the new. In 2018, the athletics department began a rebranding phase. The school was in between athletic directors and decided it was time to add official lyrics to the historical song. The new fight song goes along to the tune of the original one, but with updated lyrics for athletes, fans, and ruse to enjoy. The fight song is played numerous times at each individual home game. The song gives athletes and fans the chance to all come together and represent the university, while also giving athletes some added motivation to play their hearts out. The fight song turned a year old over the past Visitors Weekend, and the song will continue to encapsulate the school's history for years to come.
3: Many Kansas Cityans look forward to First Fridays each month. The event is known as a place for artists to display and sell art, food trucks to serve delicious food, and locals to enjoy a night of activities in the crossroads. This August, the event wasn't the typical First Fridays art lovers are used to. Erin Langhofer, a 25-year-old art enthusiast, was killed by a stray bullet following a nearby fight. She was in line at the Mad Greek food truck when the fight broke out. Kansas City has hosted this beloved community each month for many successful years, with over 10,000 festival-goers occupying the entirety of the Crossroads District. But with this recent shooting, the Crossroads Community Association lost its liability insurance coverage. The loss of insurance brought changes, creating a different experience for festival goers. Food trucks are now set up outside of the festival, the streets are not barricaded, and there is no open carry of alcohol. Despite these changes, many residents chose not to attend September's event due to concerns for their safety. Past First Fridays attracted heavy outdoor traffic with artists, entertainers, and performers set up along the streets. But due to the changes, September's festival was focused on indoor galleries. Artists will have to find different ways to keep attendees interested and entertained if they want the event to remain successful.
1: Today we're joined by Darian Case. Darian is a UMKC student, former track and field athlete, and poet. He's also a spoken word artist performing his poetry in front of live audiences and at a TEDx event. He's also a multiple-time slam poetry champion. His first collection of poetry, The Sky Has Full Lips, is being published this month.
0: Yeah, so thank you for joining us today. <laughs> We're really excited to have you.
4: Appreciate <laughs> it. You know, I, was, I was here yesterday for Zeke's show on Fired <laughs> Up, so, you know, I'm used to this room by now. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's not too bad. It's going to become like your permanent seat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this yeah, place sweet. is great. So can you start off just by introducing yourself and just telling us a bit about your story?
4: Okay, yeah. Uh, my name is Daring Case, hey everybody. Uh, when I first came to UMKC a few years ago, which I think it's about f- almost four years ago, Um, I started out as a track and field athlete studying business, um, and I had never performed poetry live. Now, that kind of changed for me when I ran into the arts bar uh, at Uptown Arts Bar on Broadway, which it no longer exists as that, sadly. They sold the building uh, to a different entity that's going to still call it the arts bar, but all of the organizations that were a part of that uh, then left. But three years ago, that's where I first started performing uh, poetry, and... That's where I got into slam poetry, which is the competition aspect of performance poetry, um, other than open mics, which is just free reign for expression. But um, yeah, I started competing. I started getting into more writing, uh, familiar with my voice and where I really would want to take poems, and learning just the structures of, you know, where a metaphor sits and how to really relate it to an audience and get them to react to things that I wanted to talk about. Um, which we can get into more detail Mm -hmm. about later. But yeah, I mean, essentially it's been three years of performing live, and um, I was able to run into a publisher uh, who owns Spartan Press. And I mean, that was at a residency in Osage Arts Community. So it wasn't really a part of school. It didn't have anything to do with the uh, campus. I just had been performing for so long, people kind of knew me around the way. And we're just like, yeah, we'd love to publish you.
0: Yeah. So you've said that Kansas City is kind of an overlooked city. Mm. So specifically, the community, the poetry community in Kansas City, how has that helped you like foster and um, improve and just create?
4: Well, I mean, when you step on the the scene for the first time, you you get to witness a lot of the best talent in this area, which a lot of the country doesn't is not able to recognize on the national level. Yeah. Because I've been to those national competitions. Pre, uh, now, multiple times, and even Button Poetry, where they're filming there, and it's like a big deal. And like, there's poets that are, you know, vastly known all around the world, millions of views online, everything. Um, and they don't really think about Kansas City when we got there. They're like, oh, Kans- Kansas? And it's like, nah, we ain't Kansas, mm-hmm. which is a poem in the book. I'm talking about we ain't Kansas mm-hmm. um, specifically. But what I like to say is, like, we are slept on in terms of arts because jazz, big, heavy uh, origination of jazz in the city, the Negro League Baseball Museum, things that, that I especially cling to in black culture were created here. And that's why I like to, you know, up, up, uphold that in terms of where I wherever I go I try to carry K C with me. And yeah, I, I think when you get onto the scene and see all these talented artists, uh, Sherry Purpose Hall, John Lewis, Hypocrisy, people that inspired me to start writing mm-hmm. better, you know, to just push my push my pen a bit more. And I mean I was on a team with those people which is awesome so it's it's just it's the transition of it's just like a sport and a discipline that you want to push yourself and uh, have a mentality that you're gonna go out and do the best you can but what's cool is nobody really wants to hear uh, what you have to say unless it's truth about true about yourself Mm -hmm. they really want to hear your perspective and your lens and you don't have to really always include other things in it but as long as you're telling your story and you're able to connect something a comparison that the audience might relate to, then that's when it that's when it becomes powerful.
0: Yeah. So have you been writing your entire life, or is this something that you just kind of fell into and fell in love with?
4: Uh, I actually started writing when I was 17. Um, really? My first poem was at 17, and then that's I insane. didn't start performing until 19. Hmm. So that was basically, I give credit in my book, in the acknowledgments, Mr. Rusher, uh, my creative writing teacher in high school, senior year. Mm-hmm. I was a track athlete, so I didn't really care much as uh, as much about my academics at that point knowing that I was going to go to college for track. Um, I was just trying to get you know get those accolades, get to state, win state, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I first saw Rudy Francisco perform on a YouTube video that Mr. Rusher showed us. What's crazy is I ran into Rudy Francisco at the National Poetry Slam Aww. last year. I got to talk to him saying hey man you inspired me to write poetry that's crazy. for the first time and you know he's like he's like the mj of poets and mm-hmm. spoken word so he was touring the united kingdom before going to the national poetry slam so it's like that's how the big of the scope is um the family that has kind of been uh been circling in the u.s especially like a lot of other countries actually come to the u.s to do, co- do competition poetry yeah so yeah um yeah I, I i've not been writing for very long i've actually I was musician first and then an athlete and then poet last but it's definitely the one uh, aspect of my life that I love the most,
0: Mm -hmm. poetry. So, So, go ahead.
1: So, uh, a lot of your poems, they, like the ones in your new book, Mm. they contain like your, kind of like an authentic message from you that like relates to your own experiences. Could you kind of tell our audience what the main message of your poems is?
4: Ah, I mean, you know what's funny is, I, I looked, the main message, for the the collection itself is that I don't want our social construct as black people to be limited. The first time I was ever asked what blackness means to me it was in a black studies class in college. You're not allowed to really, I mean in a lot of areas you don't have the opportunity to take a class like that even in high school, middle school, early education. You're taught the oppression of your culture instead of the things that you should love about it. Um, and the first time I was asked that, I was like, wait, I get to decide that. I have ownership of that. And that really empowered me to then write and speak about it more. And I realized that my, the aspect of The Sky Has Full Lips is that our construct is limitless. And that poem that starts it is, if I could, I would knock on the sky's door and beg the stars to reflect my appearance in the constellations. It will be the first time I look at this body as limitless. And which is why I also dedicated the book to black youth. Um, I do believe that we are told everything about ourselves before being allowed to discover it and enabling the empowerment of my message. I hope that other youth will do the same if they choose to speak out and it doesn't have to be just black youth. It's just, I know my experiences and I know my life journey. So I'd like to talk about it from my perspective to see if anybody else Mm -hmm. also will relate to it, um, which a lot of people seem to do. So that's where, that's where we're at. Um,
0: So do you think that your father, like who moved away and pursuing a nonprofit dream, like do you think that that has affected your views on wanting to help the black youth, especially through poetry?
4: I'd say my father has affected a lot of my views for a long time. He's probably the wisest person I've ever known. Um, Also the most humble and caring. Now, in terms of it's not just my father, my mother, my sister, they all are out there like like fighting they're they're out there taking territory for people who can't always help themselves um and fluent in spanish and upholding a community that now gets to experience my family the way i grew up with them which is makes me proud to see but i went through my own experiences with their separation yeah like that was a few years ago so i was still a sophomore in college at the time and then you know trying to pay financially for everything and uh, keep myself mentally stable, which is hard to do without your foundation. Um, but yeah, my father has a lot to do with it. You know, we did have a rocky relationship, uh, in terms of masculinity, uh, always, you know, there's, there's always kind of that little tug and pull with, with a father, I think, um, which I do try to write about, uh, with when a boy burst, burst open, which is the second last poem in my book where I talk about being able to cry, but it was more with my mother. And you know, in learning how to be emotional and saying that's okay to be vulnerable with my mother, mm-hmm. but I feel like I did take the best parts of each relationship and was able to accumulate this into uh, my work, but you know my journey and how I treat people. Um, so yeah, I mean it's yeah, lost lot to my father, I respect him he he also started a company um in 2007 uh a, an architecture firm, and that was the year of the housing market crash. so we oh. went through a lot as a family, but we, we, you know, that we, the fact that we had each other was what we cared about and we didn't need to be rich, but, you know, my dad was able to make enough for all of us to survive, so.
0: Yeah, so going through these hardships and kind of what you've touched on, you've said that to be a poet, it is to bleed in front of everyone you see. The wounds do not automatically close when we exit the stage. So how have you worked in order to heal these wounds?
4: Uh, the first step is what we realize is, everybody has trauma everybody Mm -hmm. has an origination of of a pain they might may have started out with and they don't know where it comes from or they might not know why exactly it happened and i think speaking about it allows the discourse to happen between other people um if you don't talk about it at all it's just suppression and it's and you have to learn that it's okay to do that at first your your first defense mechanism is i should not talk about this because i don't have a right to because maybe somebody else is going through something worse mm-hmm. or i'd feel like nobody's going to hear me and it might cause more trouble than it's worth. and mm-hmm. so i learning and also learning how to say talk about it on stage was conquering a huge fear that made everything else seem less scary. Yeah. so even at the like going to the office and being able to talk about poetry at one of the biggest ad agencies in the world writing for Gatorade, brisk tea, things that like i never thought i could do. But that poetry allowed me to do because of conquering that fear. So, and then on a TEDx stage, like, that's something that's big, too. You know, you got hundreds of people in front of you, which I've done auditorium of 600 people, too, which was bigger. But, like, whatever stage I come across, I don't get scared because I'm so refined in my own truth and refined in my own story. To talk about it is like a limb on my body. It's not ever going to leave. Like, I can remember a poem I wrote two years ago, just spit it out. I've spent so much time refining the work that it's just a part of me now.
1: So when you put in all this time you know you keep refining your work, you go to these different stages, you go to these poetry competitions, you write these poems. What drives you forward? What causes you to do that?
4: I think more so realizing the impact it can have on other people. Uh, it, It used to be my positive outlet to get over and heal things that I was going through, um, and once I realized, yeah, I kept healing, and I healed more so because of the community around me, the people that I, f- that I would find. It's poetry is just like church, and and I always start a session where I say, hey, turn to your neighbor and tell them, hey, cousin, because all y'all are family, all y'all are my people, and and getting into hosting open mics was something big for me too, because then I was part of, uh, leading that community and that discourse and am seeing and making sure everybody feels a part of the conversation a part of this expression and and regardless if you cross that threshold as a performance poet or just as a poet you've written a poem you're part of that family and always calling it a family because when I didn't have my family around me that's who I would turn to yeah. that's who I would go to for everything and I believe that it's it's Now that I've seen it nationwide, I know it's worldwide. Like, everybody who's ever written a poem can connect to somebody who else has written a poem. Even though I talk about police brutality in my poems, there's one time where a police officer helped me um, on my way to Slyna for a show. And I didn't have the money to pay for the tow. But I sat in his car for a while because it was 100 degrees out. And I didn't have the size jack I needed. I was trying to do it myself. I didn't really want to talk to him. But... I had to sit in his car to, to be okay, and we started talking a little bit, and he said "I used to write haikus. I was like, oh, you know, I'm on the way for a poetry competition. He's like, let me hear your stum- stuff. Read him a poem. We had more conversations he was in the military, and all this other stuff, and then later on, the guy was like, I need $80 for this, uh, for this thing it took two, two minutes to do, get my tire on the car, and the officer paid for it. He knew that I didn't have the money to just spend on this, and I was actually losing everything, I was gonna go to the Salina to get for the performance. Mm-hmm. And but him, seeing me express the way I did, he realized that you know maybe f- this act of kindness will help heal a gap that I had in terms of people that I've ran into that are police officers or being profiled, and things that happen like that um, and that 's something I really wish to write about later yeah. it's This is my first collection, so it 's the last three years of my work but there's things that have happened because of this work that have allowed me to connect to people that I knew I was supposed to be connected to and in a testimony, because I think a testimony is about what you are now instead of what you were, so, but part of that is a journey, so.
1: So, what do you see, like, as your, as a writer, and then also, in a way, as an activist through your writing, what do you see as, like, your duty to, like, address societal issues, like some of the ones that come up in your work just based on your own experiences, one you ones you've actually witnessed yourself?
4: Well, you know, as I look back, a lot of the co- poems are cry for help in in a way that I couldn't stay silent about something I saw or viewed um whether it was being in Ferguson when you know Michael Brown was killed and being seeing the riots happen and then seeing his mother years later and being able to perform a poem that I wrote because of that situation about that experience and then and then or seeing a, a woman who. I may have never known that well, but giving her this book, she reads a poem that makes her break down emotionally because she realizes this is how she wants to raise her son in terms of getting away from toxic masculinity, but her husband committed suicide last year. Things that people didn't, they have trauma, they have things that they're going through, and they're not exactly able to talk about it yet, but seeing this work saying, oh, this person is talking about it means I can do that. It's an empowerment, and it's a domino effect of, if I can say something, maybe somebody else can. And that's why on the back of the book I write about um, a quote from Blythe Baird, which is a poet, a female poet, who says, Is silence not an act of violence, too? And that is one of those quotes that I've just carried with me every time I write a poem because it's bigger than me now. You know, it's, I used to do this for me, but I'm okay. You know, and I, I can continue to be okay, and I can continue to reshape my trauma into something that's not shit, and it's fertilizer for new growth. And it's not me that's, that's affected. It's bearing seeds and bearing the problems like seeds so that can just manifest in, in a beautiful way. And that's what I've been, that's, I mean, that's, that's what I've been doing. And uh, that's, that's why I believe Rudy Francisco, when he unlocked my voice, that's why I had to go and thank him for it. Because I was like, you know, dude, if I'd never saw you perform, I may not have known that it's okay for me to speak about this. Seeing yeah. a black man do it. And it's knowing that I can talk about my experiences as being black. And it won't be shunned because that's how I felt all of school. I uh, grew up in a predominantly white community. It's just, it's, it's just gonna happen, you know. It, some of my best friends would call me the N-word. Things happen that are you know, hard to, hard in terms of identity and knowing where I belong, uh, even as a biracial person who's mostly black, but you, know, it's, you gotta go percentages at that point and it's just a wild, who am I, who am I, who am I? Who am I and then finding purpose. That purpose leads to progression, and that's what has brought me to this point. And knowing that I will continue to progress if I continue to write, so that's what I'm gonna do. So do you
1: see that as your purpose? Do you think going in the future, you're gonna identify yourself as a writer?
4: Uh, Yeah, I am now, actually. I spent a year at VML writing, copywriting, learning how to be creative for other brands. Um, In terms of poetry, this is my brand. My -hmm. brand is poetry, but uh, learning how to do it for other people allowed me to be valuable to a corporation. I just know that in the long run, this is something I want to do to help other people, especially youth. Because if I was a child doing this already, I, you know, I, couldn't, I wouldn't be able to fathom the impact of that in my life and my decision-making past that, knowing who I am and being solidified in my identity. Because there's a lot of kids who do that, but they're not able to reach that point because of their parental structure, their home life. But getting to dig into the roots of trauma at an early age and knowing that that's something that can empower you if you're able to understand it then that's gonna allow for more healing that's gonna allow for more fear just letting go of that conquering it and yeah i'd rather have an impact over being comfortable that's just me it's not everybody but you know that's that's what i believe is my journey or my truth
1: so i mean it's clear that your art is more forgiving than receiving and on your website, it said that you wanted to start a maybe one day start a non for profit mm-hmm. to help the black youth. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Like, what would that non for profit do if you ever got the chance to create it?
2: Ah, uh,
4: probably be the administration of arts into early childhood education. I think that poetry, or any t- any expression of music, uh, something you can put yourself in and just create and be unique and out of the box for yourself. I- it's it's a s- it's a self-discovery. So if, if somebody has self-discovery, that will allow them to be more comfortable in how they interact with other people. Being comfortable with yourself is how you're allowed to let relationships in and be trustworthy of, of other people entering your life and, and just growth overall. I think uh, without knowing yourself well, it's hard to, you're gonna be a follower and that's not nothing wrong with a follower, but you're even better at that, knowing yourself. You know how to, to value your opinion, your expression. A lot of times in education, we're taught to regurgitate. We learn, we learn, we learn, we learn, regurgitate, but that's nothing special for us. I mean, we should be, te- we should be taught how to be more ourselves, but if we're never allowed space to be ourselves, then how are we gonna know? Um, so that's, that's what I wanna do at workshops, prompts, just you know, working with kids. Like I have this thing called fridge magnets where I actually, you know, it's funny, I came up with the, the book title with fridge magnets. I just have these magnets of words on my fridge, and I just move them around. And one time, the sky is full lips, and that hit me. And I was like, oh, my goodness. That says more than what's there. And then that allowed me to break down um, my list and be able to, uh, to safeguard all the poems under that. But what told me that this was it was because, hey, my blackness has to do with everything in my life, but I get to define it. So that's where I see it as limitless, and that's where the galaxy is on the cover, and that's why it's the sky in terms of the night, which is also maybe a play on mm-hmm. color. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just really cool seeing where I've come in the last few years and seeing if, there, if there's another kid who can do that same thing, and that domino effect, because I've yeah. had people come up to me. I never had somebody come up to me in track and say, you changed my life seeing you run around a circle. Mm-hmm. They came up to me saying, you helped me fall in love with poetry, or you helped me discover my voice. That's something that I wanna continue to chase, the connection through words. And if I can do it in kids, that's, that's gonna set them up for life, so.
1: To close us out, would you mind sharing with us one of your poems? Do you have any favorites from your book?
4: Yeah, um, <laughs> I have one, is it, it's like around four minutes, is that okay? That's okay. Yeah, that's good. Okay, it's actually my, it's my favorite piece and it's actually scattered throughout the book, but when I perform it, it's all together. But since it's my favorite piece, I've separated it to be like towards the beginning and the last poem. And it's in all in odes, but it's a, it's a sequence. And hopefully Button Poetry posts this later next year because I actually performed in front of them uh, earlier this year. Hey. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I hope, I mean it was at Rust Belt, but we'll never know. It was it was a crazy experience because I was on stage with people that I've been watching for years on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, here it is, it's called, it's called Ode to the Things in Our Hood That Still Pulse. Today, a tombstone tongue will not take the stage. An audience will gather, but there's no fatality to fiend upon. See, the poem won't be pried open, forced into a hungry mouth. A poet will not pluck a stranger from the pavement to dangle the bones above the pages. Let the poem let the poem starve, but leave the boy. He can hold his own name. A black woman will not be mother of a movement today, she will just be mother. But how much death does it take for us to spit resurrection back into our community? I wanna see my family grow, bloom, rose like from the concrete, thorns buried like to adapt ain't necessary. I wanna see my family soar amongst the eagles Like the freedom America thinks they promise high above hierarchy so the past can defeat itself today, we celebrate. So ode to the barbershop, where therapy is cheap and sessions end only when the fade is clean. Church ain't always on Sunday. Barber Bruce finna lay down a sermon of his own. Watch as we confess our sins and then dap each other up afterwards. Coconut oil anointings, blade for this baptism, each cut is a new genesis. The fresh slap of rubbing alcohol on your hairline to test the grit in your grimace. Oh, how that first thing be rite of passage. Pain, merely evidence that healing will start again. Ode to the old heads. The union of wisdom and stuttering gold teeth. How my nose drink a wave of cool water cologne before they enter a room. Clink and their glide. Anthem of too many coins and too many keys. Don't gotta ask why. He already told you twice. If you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. A Midwest drawl so long you fit a Baptist choir between each syllable. See on most days my open ear and closed lips be praise enough. Ode to the block party where no one pulls a piece. But it always gets poppin'. Pop lock and droppin'. Music for fellowship. Blends of old school and young blood. that y'all don't know nothing about this. Harmonize with oh! That's my shit! Come one. Come all. On come kick it something vicious. A party ain't a party tell the public think we ignorant. Not ignorant, I said ignorant. Ain't no such thing as too much pride in our pigment. Ode to the family reunion. Cook out without the code switch. Grandpa's turned grill master is wearing those brown, Jesus looking sandals. I don't know what I'm talking about. The woke ass uncle who needs a nap and claims the dollar menu being a buck 29 per item is the newest conspiracy. Like taxes aren't a thing. And you can't forget auntie, mama number two, been with a man for 10 years, and they ain't married, but she ain't pressed. She got that man on lock. And if grandma goes home, the matriarch won't. Grandma gonna live. Nah, she gonna breathe through this potato salad, through these collard greens and green beans, the family stay fed, stay feeding on this cranberry and ancestry owed to the black woman. Brother, those waves on your little head, don't impress her. Her hands be enough for two oceans. Ocean of our waters, black woman, taught our veins how to shuck and jive. That rhythm be the pulse and drum of this body owed to the black man who still lives. Although the world may nip at the heels of his hustle that can't replace, the mark his steps will leave behind and here yaw, here he stands, amongst us all, this time, holding his own name. So that wow. was that
1: part. Thank you.
0: Yeah,
4: perfect. Appreciate it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, sorry to say it, but that's all of our time that we have for today. I'd like to thank you, Darian, for joining us today, giving us a look at your work. Uh, it's was really interesting to hear. Appreciate it. And to our audience, be sure to tune in to our sister podcast, The Roundtable, which streams on Spotify and is coming up next on k UMKC's radio station.